Hi, I'm Chris Fleming, and welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors and guests discuss the latest health policy news and developments. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Cindy Mann. Cindy is a partner with Manette Health. Before joining Manette, she was the deputy administrator at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and director of the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services. She led the administration of Medicaid, CHIP, and the basic health program for more than five years during the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Today, I'll be talking with Cindy about some of the issues that's discussed in a recent Health Affairs Forefront article that she wrote with co-authors Ann O'Hagan-Carl of Manette and Heather Howard of Princeton. The article's titled, Rethinking the Budget Neutrality Requirement for Medicaid Section 1115 Demonstrations. I encourage listeners who haven't already read the full piece to do so. Uh, we'll post a link in the show notes. Cindy, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, as I mentioned, uh, your forefront piece uh, is about uh, rethinking the budget neutrality requirement for these uh, 1115 demonstrations in Medicaid. Let's start with the basics. Very briefly, what exactly are Section 1115 demonstrations and what does the the top line sort of uh, description, what does the budget uh, neutrality requirement mean? Good place to start, Chris. Thank you. So Section 1115 refers to a provision in the Social Security Act, and it gives the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services at the federal level, the authority to approve demonstrations that are proposed by states that in the Secretary's judgment furthers the objectives of the Medicaid program. They're supposed to be demonstrations to test new ways of operating the program, sometimes by waiving provisions of the law. And they're, um, they're, these demonstrations, therefore, are commonly referred to as waivers. So they can add new services or new populations that aren't, can't otherwise be covered in the Medicaid program. For example, Oregon is seeking to add an eligibility group to its program by covering youth with special health care needs in order to provide them enhanced uh, health services. Or they can provide funds for states to invest in system transformation or to help hospitals uh, pay uh, cover the cost of uncompensated care. Texas and Florida have large uncompensated care funding that's authorized through their Section 1115 waivers. Waivers can also cut back on eligibility or services that are otherwise required by law. Listeners may recall an extensive debate uh, about waivers that were approved by the Trump administration to impose work requirements um, as a condition of Medicaid coverage. So turning to budget neutrality, um, states and the federal government generally share the cost of the Medicaid program, and that shared financing responsibility is carried over to Medicaid demonstrations as well. So budget neutrality is a federal policy that requires all of these demonstrations, whether they're new funding for uncompensated care, system transformation, new services for youth with special health care needs, um, uh, all the examples I just gave, it's a policy that says that these waivers can't cost the federal government anything more than what they would have, uh, what the program would have cost the federal government without the waiver. So it's, it's really a significant departure from the general rule that states can expand or strengthen their programs and increase state and federal costs that way when they make changes in eligibility and benefits. And it's somewhat ironic that demonstrations, which are supposed to be about innovation, have this kind of fiscal straitjacket. 
All right. Well, let's uh, you you started to get into this. Let's delve a little bit uh, into some of the specific difficulties. The most basic way, as I understand, uh, standard from your forefront article, is that it really just prevents uh, the spending of more money that you know you sometimes need to do if you want to accomplish an important goal. And as you say, if these are about innovation, uh, you know sometimes you might want to do that. Am I reading that right? That's exactly right. If a state wants to make a change that would result in higher spending, a greater investment in the program, they either must show that um, they could have made that change without the waiver, which is usually not uh, not the case, or that they are reducing spending under the waiver. So there's an offsetting savings um, or that they have what's called banked savings from previous waivers that could cover the new costs. So the demonstration itself can't stand if, if it results in new costs um, unless one of these other conditions are met. All right. And then, I, as I understand it, though, there we could delve a little bit deeper. And even beyond that, there are some sort of specific ways that the uh, requirement has been interpreted, that the formulas have been calculated, uh, that raise some concerns even beyond just this prohibition on spending more money. I would really encourage listeners uh, to go read the full forefront article. This is very complex, and Cindy and her co-authors do a great job of laying out all the different arguments. Uh, But for now, uh, I'd love it if you could maybe uh, take a few minutes and highlight uh, for our listeners two or three of the the most important ways that you think the requirement is problematic. The most important one is the one you've identified, which is that um, for any demonstration that is by definition an investment in the program, whether it's for to address health disparities or maternal mortality, that those uh, those new investments have to find an offset. But there's also many, many other nuanced issues that come up. Um, over the years, the rules around budget neutrality have gotten increasingly complex and a bit opaque, um, sometimes uh, as workarounds to deal with the challenges um, that the policy creates. One pretty fundamental issue is that the cost of the waiver, right? So, so the waiver has to cost no more than what the state would have spent without the waiver. So, you, so a state has to project when it uh, enters into a waiver agreement with the federal government, what its costs would be without the waiver. It's projecting for the five years forward because waivers are usually authorized for five years. Um, and those calculations may be as reasonable as they can be, but as we all know, healthcare costs are pretty hard to project. Um, and so what if the state projections are off? Uh, For example, what if a state didn't project that there would be higher costs because of an opioid crisis or uh, because insulin um, costs rose? So those program costs would normally be accommodated through the regular Medicaid financing system. But when a state has a waiver, if its actual costs exceed what they projected the cost would be, the state may be stuck owing the federal government money. I also mentioned bank savings a moment ago, so let me let me explain that because that's a, a current conundrum that the administration and, and states are, are trying to work through. So here's how bank savings have worked in the past. If a state used a waiver to implement, let's say, managed care, and it projected at the time that managed care would save them, uh, let's say, 15% of their cost by going into a managed care environment. Those savings, whether or not they actually materialized, uh, 
keep accruing as long as the states are kept accruing as long as the state continued the waiver. So a state that implemented managed care years ago would build up a lot of savings. Those are savings that are really on paper. When that state comes in with a new waiver that would increase Medicaid costs, historically, the federal government has said, well, okay, you saved a lot of money from that old waiver, so we'll let you offset the new costs with that, with those bank savings. But may those savings not actually be real, but a state that comes in with exactly the same waiver proposal, the new initiative, but didn't have those prior waivers and those prior bank savings, would not have the same opportunity to make the investment in the program. So it creates some significant inequities across states. Great. And uh, in one second, I want to get to uh, something that the Biden administration has proposed to try to get at exactly that. Uh, but before I do, just to uh, clarify for listeners, this uh, budget neutrality requirement, uh, it's not, as I understand it, required right by by statute or by court decision or even by regulation. Am I, am I correct about that? You're absolutely correct. Um, it's not it's a policy that's been applied for decades. It's not a new policy. Um, but it's not required by statute, by reg, or court decision. And that, of course, means that um, the administration has the ability to change the rules without going to Congress or even promulgating a new regulation. And uh, in that vein, uh, as I just uh, referenced a second ago, uh, the Biden administration right, has, has taken uh, steps to try to address that problem you talked about uh, with bank savings and the inequities between states. Uh, through a mechanism called rebasing. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Well, first, let me just clarify. It's not really just the Biden administration. The idea of trying to address these bank savings has been uh, percolating uh, at the federal level for a while, including starting at the, at the Obama administration, because, it, because of the inequities um, and because the savings aren't necessarily real in any event. So CMS, so the, the Biden administration is now in the process of implementing the policy of rebasing that, that a couple of administrations have signaled they supported. But it, it, it has created some complications. Um, so they have moved to not allow states to keep all of the savings that they may have accrued in from prior waivers. Um, and they're also looking to rebase what the state expenditures are. But it's pretty hard to figure out what a uh, what the value of the waiver itself is and how a state can rebase its, uh, say exactly what its spending has been, um, imagining life without the waiver. So it's it's been pretty complicated and um, and not at all straightforward to implement a rebasing policy. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about, uh, in your forefront piece, you uh, proposed a couple of ways to move forward from here. One would be uh, sort of reforming the budget neutrality requirement, and the other one would be eliminated it, eliminating it entirely. Excuse me. Uh, could you talk us through those two options? Well, let me throw out a couple of ideas. There's there's a lot of uh, possibilities uh, for the administration to think about. One is that CMS could make allow states to make routine adjustments. Remember, I gave you the example of opioid costs. Um, the opioid crisis, increasing costs or insulin costs, that 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 cost would have been uh, one that the state could have uh, shared with the federal government if it didn't have a, a, a waiver. So they could allow more routinely states to adjust their 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 baseline in order to accommodate costs that otherwise would have popped up. 
Another fix is that these uh, budget neutrality, this is, you know, uh, budget neutrality rules are inside the Medicaid program, and they don't consider whether there's federal savings that say that's accrued to the Medicare program for so-called dual eligibles, people eligible for Medicaid and Medicare. Sometimes if, if states invest on the Medicaid side to uh, provide better preventive services for people, it's Medicare that, bear, uh, that, that sees the benefit of that because they pay for hospital care. So, uh, but those Medicare savings aren't computed in the budget neutrality calculations. So those are a couple of, of, of discrete changes that they could make. They could also, because it isn't required by policy, by statute, or by regulation, they could say, we're no longer going to apply this budget neutrality concept to these demonstrations. And to your point, Chris, the main reason why it wouldn't open up the floodgates is that states still have to pay a share of their state costs. These demonstrations aren't $3 from the federal government. You still have the state component in terms of um, their share of the cost, and that would, uh, um, they're not looking to explode the cost any more than, than the federal government. And in addition, these waivers are discretionary with HHS secretary. If the secretary believes a waiver initiative is simply too costly for the value it provides, it can say no. Well, thank you. And uh, uh, as I say, the article uh, bears full reading. It's uh, very complex. You've done a wonderful job uh, just now in packing a lot of information into a very short period of time. Uh, So we'll leave it there for now. And and Cindy, I really want to thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thanks to our listeners, of course. Uh, Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.